The scripture this morning is from Ephesians chapter 5. You can follow along as we read. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, to the Father, for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Boom. Hey, we brought Bissy in from kids to read the passage this morning. Shout out you, Bissy. We love it. We, I mean, she's the best though, right? It's like, who, who, let's just bring the music team back up after Bissy reads the word. We don't even need anybody to preach. Um, it's, it is. It's the best. Um, hey, well, my name's Cam. If I haven't met you, I would love to. We are in a series that we are calling, we're week two, called uh, Deeply Formed Church. And uh, it's, it's not necessarily a vision series, but it's not not a vision series. You know what I mean? Like, so, all right, you're tracking with me. Yeah, you, got, you get it. Um, but but we're, we're kind of walking through who we want to be as a church. And Jeremy talked last week on intimacy with God. He, he preached from John 15. And I just want to encourage you, if you weren't here last week, um, it was amazing. And it kind of, it, it really is the heart of our church. Um, everything we believe individually and even as a church body, it flows from that. It flows from, from walking deeply with God, being intimate with, with God, being, being in friendship and relationship with him. And I, and I just want to even remind us of that this morning, like b- before I even get into stuff, um, God, is, God is with you and he's for you and he's not against you. And I, I just love that first song that we sang this morning, that, that you can hear the posture of God's heart towards you this morning. Because I'm going to get into some practicals, but, but before we even start, like we, we need to know that that his posture towards us, it's not with his arms crossed, but his, but his arms are open and his, and his brow isn't furrowed towards you, right? That's not what his face looks like, but it smiles upon you, that he loves you and he delights in you and he actually sings over you. That's, that's God's heart for you this morning. So I just wanna remind us of that because I know people, we bring in all kinds of things into this room. We, we carry stuff and we, we, have this, we have this kind of really good, it's like our superpower to compartmentalize things and we can put them away but we wanna invite all of that. We wanna bring it into God's presence and let him transform it. So um, I'm gonna read the passage one more time and then we'll pray and then we'll get into it. So I'm gonna read it one more time. It says this, Ephesians chapter five, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Song, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Father, we thank you for these moments that we get to share this morning. We, we do, we just come with grateful hearts. We don't deserve any of this. We we're not entitled to a thing. So we just come to you knowing that all of this is, uh, is moments that we receive by your grace. And this morning, we don't need more information. We don't need more content, but we, we, we just need you. So we just ask that you would meet with us this morning. 
Holy Spirit, take these words that were written thousands of years ago and would you just breathe on them, make them come alive in our hearts, give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. Amen. Well, let's just get into it, right? Verse 15, right away, Paul says this, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. When I first read that, I can't help, but the first thing that comes to my mind is the office. Anybody else love the office? Here, here, some, like three snaps for The Office. All right, it's a little aged. You got to pay for it on Peacock now. It's how you know you're getting old when your shows aren't on Netflix. But The Office, okay? I, I think about it because I, I think of Dwight Schrute, what he says. He says, the best piece of advice he ever got from Michael Scott, he said, don't be an idiot, <laughs> right? And he's like, he's like that, that's, just the, that's just the filter I run everything through. If an idiot would do this thing, I don't do that thing, right? That, that's kind of what I think of when I hear this, right, Paul? It's like very blunt to the point. Be careful. Don't live unwise, but live wise. You're like, oh, wow, Paul, praise God. Jeez, that's amazing, right? But we all have this longing for wisdom. We want it, right? We, 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 we long to, to know what to do with our time, which decisions to make, where to spend our resources and our money. And, and we, we, we want information and we want to know what do we do with these kids? How am I going to raise these babies? I need wisdom. I need information. I need insight. We long for it. I, uh, I'm really into this note app called LogSeek. If you want to talk about it after, I can basically tell you more about LogSeek than most things I can, like God. Um, I love this app, okay? But, but I, was, I was on YouTube, and I was looking for ways to kind of use this app better, and uh, the, the algorithm got me, okay? You guys know the YouTube algorithm? Like, they just know you, and they, all of a sudden, you're there for hours, and you're like, what happened to my life? But I got, the algorithm got me, and it started, it led me down this little trail of, uh, I don't know what to call these people, but like the self-help people right? Like the, the, the maximize your life, optimize your time, wake up at 5.30. Like, I guess if you're into no apps, you're also into like 5.30 a.m. wake up calls and like maximizing your time, which is not the case for me. Um, I just like the note app. It's like, oh, enough about the note app. Um, but we have this desire for that, right? We have this desire to optimize things. We want to know what's going on. It's this deep, it's, it's, it's this, it double clicks on our longing for wisdom. We, we, we want wisdom. But let, let me say something. There's a difference between human reasoning and wisdom. They're not always opposed to each other, but, but they're, they're different things, right? They're, they're different. It's, it's why James, when he says this, if anyone lacks wisdom, what does he say? He doesn't say, let them listen to a podcast. No, let, let them read a blog. Let them get a book. Not that I'm opposed to any of those things, but he says this, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. For he generously gives wisdom to everyone who asks. And it's why Paul, right, his, his next thing, it might seem a little bit unexpected, but it's actually right in line with how the scriptures teach about wisdom. He says this, right? He says, hey, don't be unwise. Don't be a fool. Don't be dumb. Just do what God desires. Just do his will. And then he says this, and don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And, and while there's, there's, there's wisdom and a, and a charge here not to get drunk with wine, let, let, let me give you just some quick Bible study methods here. If there's ever a compare and contrast in a, in a, in a passage, and one of the things they're comparing to is one of the members of the Godhead, the, the point of the compare and contrast isn't the other thing, okay? So let me just, the, the point of the passage here is be filled with the Spirit. And why he's comparing it to alcohol or wine or being drunk it, it actually has more to do with influence, right? He's saying, don't be influenced by wine. 
but be influenced by the Holy Spirit. See, alcohol, I've heard this from friends, not my own story ever, um, but some people say that alcohol has this ability to, to, to make you someone that you're not, that you make decisions that you wouldn't normally make because of the alcohol, that, that you start to see things a little bit differently, that things that weren't so attractive once all of a sudden become a little attractive, right? There, the alcohol has this power, this potential to change the way that you see things, where you look back and you're like, I don't know what that was. Alcohol has the ability to do that, and that's actually why Paul is comparing and contrasting because he's saying the Spirit is meant to be the same way, that the Spirit can make you see things, that can, that can pull you into being someone that you're actually not, that can make you greater than you ever were under the influence of the Spirit. He says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And isn't it interesting that's like exactly what we see in Acts chapter 2? when the Holy Spirit really breaks onto the scene and launches the church to be the church, right? So, so here, here's, here's some of the, the, the kind of the pathway, right? It says this, Jesus, he, he's, he's about to be baptized by his cousin, John, and John has been preaching and he's been saying, uh, hey, I, I'm baptizing you with water, but there is someone who's coming who's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit. And then we actually see him baptize Jesus, Right? Jesus goes into the water. He comes out from the water. We, we hear the Father's affirmation boom over creation. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And then we see the spirit, the Holy Spirit rest on Jesus like a dove. We have to understand here, 30 years before this, we don't hear very much about Jesus at all. And then he hears the Father's affirmation and he gets the spirit's power. And then Jesus' ministry is launched into what it is. He lived by the power of the spirit the authority that he taught with, the miracles that he performed, the healings that he did, the deliverances that he did. Jesus did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he teaches on the Holy Spirit. And he says crazy things like this. It's better that I go because if I don't go, the comforter won't come or the advocate or the Holy Spirit. He teaches that the Spirit will give us what to say that he will be our advocate, that he will glorify Jesus, that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth and that he will overflow out of us like living water. And even his final words to the disciples, he says this after his resurrection, right before his ascension, he says this, he says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised. When you heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's saying, isn't this interesting? Like Jesus raises from the grave and he's not like, let's do it. It's go time. He says, no, we're going to wait for a while. Because if you go right now in your own power and your own strength, nothing will matter. But you need to wait for the gift that my father is sending. You need to wait for the Holy Spirit. And this is what happens. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They're waiting on God. A lot can happen when we wait on God, by the way. That's why we actually do congregational prayer. That's why we, we want to live as a church. We want to be a slow, contemplative. We want to wait on Jesus. We want to be right in step with the Spirit. We don't want to be ahead of Jesus. There's no safer place to be than right behind him. So sometimes we need to wait and be in the steps and the pace of the Holy Spirit. So they're waiting when it says, and suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And the Spirit does this sometimes. The Spirit sometimes comes like a mighty rushing wind. Sometimes it's like a gentle breeze, but sometimes it's like a mighty rushing wind. It's, it's like that I-70 kind of wind when you're driving through Kansas, that wind where you're like, is, there, is my alignment off in my car? You're like, no, it's the wind, bro. It's that mighty rushing wind. <laughs> All right, self-crowd. Self-crowd on the wind jokes. 
<laughs> no more wind jokes. All right, I'm going to write that one down, babe. Not gonna write okay, all right. Well, you're always learning. You know, we're in process. So, But anyways, we're not exactly sure what happens, but we do know um, that they're actually getting made fun of, right? The people actually, they, they, they hear the disciples and they're actually like, they're like, what is happening? Are these people... Are they filled with new wine? Like, are they, are they, they're actually asking. They're like, what is, what kind of influence are these people under because something weird has happened? It's actually even the, the string that Paul is pulling on when he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. And because right after the fulfillment of Jesus' promise that they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit, Peter, he stands up to preach. And we know Peter, right? We know his story. Scared Peter. The Peter who literally like a couple days before was around a fire with like a 12-year-old girl and she's like, don't you know Jesus? And he's like, no, definitely not me. That, that Peter stands up in front of the people and he preaches and he says, this is the promise. This, we're not drunk with wine as you suppose, but he says, this is the promise of the father. And, and he quotes back to Joel, to Joel in the Old Testament. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Even my sons, both men and my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And then he preaches the gospel and repentance and says, Jesus, whom you crucified, turn from your life and turn to him. And it says that 3,000 people became Jesus followers that day. That's like revival right there. Like that's, that's it. Like everything just changed in a moment. Peter, what happened? Well, he was... He received something. He, he, was, he became under the influence of something and it was the Holy Spirit. He was, he was as the scripture says, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was, and, and that word might sound a little weird. So, so let, me, let me give us an illustration to help us understand even that word ba baptism, okay? Which we see all the time, but he says that we, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And in the ancient language, there was, there was two words for this word baptism. There was the word bapto and the word baptizo. Okay, we track in Greek, right? Yeah. All right, baptizo. Bapto means to dip something. Baptizo means to immerse it. So, so the best way for us to understand this is actually an ancient pickling recipe, okay? Yeah, you didn't think we were going there today. Pickling. Like somebody's in the back like, wow, not a sports illustration. Pickling. That's where we're at this morning. We're going to talk about pickling. And I, and I have to be honest, I stole this illustration from somebody. <laughs> I don't pickle things, okay? <laughs> no one's surprised. Okay, um, <laughs> But, but, but the best way to understand this is actually an old pickling recipe, okay? So what you would do with this pickling recipe is you would take a cucumber and you would dip it, you would bapto it in the boiling water, okay? You, you would dip it in the boiling water and then you would baptizo it into the vinegar, okay? You dip it in, we, we following, okay? If, if we wanna go home and make pickles, all right? All right, you, you dip it in the boiling water and then you immerse it, you baptizo it into the solution of vinegar, and then over time, you have to let it sit there for a while. And over time, it actually moves from a cucumber to a pickle. It's crazy, right? It's a pickling recipe. It's wild, okay? This is our best understanding of what it means to receive and live by the Holy Spirit, that we actually need to be pickled by the Holy Spirit. We need to be so immersed and overwhelmed by the presence of God in the Holy Spirit that you go in a cucumber and you come out and you're a pickle. You're a different thing. You're like, you're like trying to take it seriously, but anytime the preacher yells, you're a pickle, you, you, didn't, you didn't see that coming. <laughs> I didn't even see that coming when I wrote that down. You're a pickle. Let's pray in Jesus' name. All right. Are you tracking, are you tracking with me though? 
You go in as one thing and you come out something completely different. You go in as Peter's scared to say anything about Jesus to a 12-year-old girl and you come out and you're preaching and, you're, and your life is changed and you're transformed. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need more than anything else. That's what we long for. It's why Paul's invitation, it says, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be under the influence of anything else, but be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be filled with it. Not a drop here and a drop there, but to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know when something is full, right? Like, like my, the, the best baristas, right? They give you a 12-ounce cup, but the best baristas, they don't give you 12 ounces of coffee, right? They give you like 10 or 11. I don't want 12 ounces of coffee. Why? Because when she gives me the full 12 ounces, what happens? It spills out. It overflows onto my hand. I only want 11. I say 12. I want a 12-ounce cup with 11 ounces of coffee because I don't want to spill. I don't want it to spill over. Because when something is actually all the way full, when it's to the top, it starts to spill over onto things. That's why Paul's saying, be filled with the Spirit. It's, it's actually drawing even back to Jesus' words in John chapter 7. He says, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. He's saying that we want to be a people. We want to be a church or so filled with the Holy Spirit that it just starts to overflow and it pours out of us and I can't even help it. I'm trying to walk as steady as I can, but it just spills everywhere. That's the life that Jesus is inviting us to that Paul is actually illustrating. We wanna be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the New Testament is peppered with this. Like we cannot escape the power of us walking with and by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm just gonna pull out like a couple examples, right? Galatians 5. If you ever had a coffee cup, with any kind of Christian decor on it, you've had this verse on there, right? Right, it's hanging somewhere in like 17 of your guys' houses right now, Galatians 5. Right, what does it say? It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I read that most of my life is this is the Christian to-do list, right? Well, now that I'm a Jesus follower, here we go. I gotta be more loving. I gotta be more kind. I gotta be more patient. Definitely gotta have more self-control, Right? But what does it say? It's not the fruit of Cain. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. A life pickled in the Holy Spirit comes out like this. We're more loving people. We're more joyful. We're more, we, we have more peace. We're non-anxious presence in an anxious world. And other people start to eat from that fruit, right? Fruit is not for us, but fruit is actually for other people to take it in. And it's saying a life Filled with the Holy Spirit is one like this. Love, joy, peace. It's what we all long for more than anything else, but we need the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit who distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but in them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So there are gifts to be had. There are, there are literally things that you did not earn, that you did not work for, talents, abilities that God has given to you, distributed to you by the Holy Spirit. And it's to serve people. It's to serve the church. And even in this passage, he talks about doing it for the common good that we all might come together. One of the biggest pitfalls of the American church is that we celebrate one or two gifts, that we see someone up here talking about the Bible for 13 minutes and we're like, that's the gift from the Lord. It's like, that's one gift. We all have gifts. We all have things that the Holy Spirit has distributed to us. And for us to be a deeply formed church, we all need to be operating out of our gifts. We need to operate out of who God has made us to be. 
one thing as a church, we want to we want we want to celebrate people's gifts. We want to call out people's gifts. When you see someone living and doing what God made them to do, we want to call that out. We don't all know our gifts, but we want to call those out in people. We want to live as a people who live by the Spirit and operate out of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are leaders in here that you don't even know why, but people just follow you. You're like, that's not because you read a leadership book. That's not because you've been listening to some podcast that tells you how to lead. It's a gift that God has given you and you're to steward it and to use it. First Peter 4 says, it says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. To know and acknowledge and receive the gifts the Spirit has distributed to us is how we steward God's grace. And the church fails when we only celebrate one or two gifts. All right, last one. We're talking about spirit here. Romans chapter five says this, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit moves God's love from a concept to a reality, from a theory to an experience. It's, it's actually by being pickled in God's love that transforms us, not just an intellectual understanding, not just that, it is that, but it's actually more than that. It's to experience by the power of the Holy Spirit, God's love that's poured into our hearts. Don't you love all this liquid imagery? Everything is pouring and flowing and being filled and it's, being, it's, it's the Holy Spirit that we might drink it and receive it and take in all of it, that we might immerse ourselves in it. And now there's a quick warning here, okay? Because even as we talk about this, this is where we tend to see how, how, how do we get more of the Spirit? We get a little bit confused because we're like, don't I have the Holy Spirit? How do I get more of something that I already have? How is Paul trying to teach me to be filled with something that I kind of already have? Don't I, don't I already have the Holy Spirit? And, and that's actually, that, that, that double clicks on kind of a, a, a misconception that we have about the Holy Spirit a lot of times. And maybe even if we don't have this uh, misconception theologically, we definitely have it practically. See, one of the biggest misconceptions is, is that the Holy Spirit is some kind of force, something to be yielded or wielded or, or some kind of power energy that we kind of take in. But the Holy Spirit is a person. And, and we miss this a lot in the West. And I'm just gonna, there's, there's a study literally two years ago, Christianity Today came out with an article that said this, a majority of American evangelical Christians, 59% when they were polled, says that the Holy Spirit is a force and not a personal being. And right, isn't that fascinating? The majority of American Christians, and I emphasize American here, okay, this is, this is a problem more in the West, see that the Holy Spirit is far more like a for, the force from Star Wars to be yielded and taken in than it is to be a, a person to have a relationship with. So even when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, what we're talking about is being filled with a relationship. And you guys all know this. You, m- most of your personalities have been derived by people that you've surrounded yourself with, Right? Like, like Jeremy's not here, but, but I remember like, like Jeremy all the time, I would say something and, I, I, and he'd, he'd be like, dude, he'd be like, for real. That's what he'd say. I didn't even notice. Like three months later, someone said something to me and I was like, yeah, for real. I was like, whoa, right? It's because I've had this relationship with Jeremy where I start to catch some of his things, right? It's a, it's a relationship. It's a relational feeling that we're looking for. We're not just looking for more power or more energy or more of anything. It's a relationship to be had. And, and we grieve the Holy Spirit when we see him as a force and not a person. So we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But isn't that invitation kind of weird, the way Paul words it, right? He's like, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's weird because it has this like active passive command to it. 
It's saying, go, be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's an active, be filled is passive, right? It's like, it's like if I said, hey, go be called by your mom. You'd be like, all right, okay. I'm just like gonna hold my phone, I guess. Like you don't know what to do. It's like, so what do we do to be filled by the Holy Spirit? The best illustration that we have, and we use this a lot here, but it's, it's to put up our sails. It's, it's a sailing illustration, right? That we, are, that we are moving from one place to another. And it is our role and responsibility to put up the sail as sailmen, right? We put, up the, we put up the, whatever it is, the sail. That's what it's called, okay? We put up the sail. It's like, it's, like it's not that deep, bro. It's just a sail. All right. But we put up the sail. But what we can't do is we can't make the boot, the boat move, right? We can't make it move. What makes the boat move? It's the wind that comes. But if we don't put up the sail, the wind, it has nothing, right? The, the wind can come and go, but we're not moving anywhere if we don't put up our sail. So we want to put up our sail. Isn't that a beautiful illustration of us walking in, in partnership with the Holy Spirit? There's our role, but ultimately it's not dependent on us. It's dependent on the Holy Spirit. It's, it's dependent on the wind and the activity and the movement of the Holy Spirit, but it's our responsibility to put up the sail. And it's actually tied and tethered in the, in the text here, okay? He says to be filled by the Holy Spirit, and then he attaches it to this. He says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the two ways that I want to talk about putting up our sail this morning, I'm not going to go too long, is prayer and worship. Prayer and worship. And, and, and I hope that, that if this is your first time at Trinity or if you've been here for a while, that, that you would have caught that prayer is center to what we do. We do pre-gathering prayers. We do congregational prayer. We do post-prayer. We do prayer nights. Like we, we want to be a church that prays. And I'm not going to talk too much about that, but I do want to read. These are our, if you're, if you're a note person, these are our seven convictions about prayer. Just as a church, this is just what we believe. This is what we're going to go after, okay? Seven things. One, prayer is not a ministry. It is the ministry of the church. Two, our lives and churches are powerless apart from prayer. Three, history itself is moved by prayer. For small gatherings precede big breakthroughs. Five, Satan fears a praying church. And six, this is maybe a little bit more uh, for us as a church, but we, we as Trinity, we want to be the prayer engine of renewal, um, seeking prayer here in Columbia. We want to be the prayer engine of this city. We can't all do everything all the time, but if there's one thing that we want to emphasize as a church, it's, it's prayer. We want to be the praying church. And then seven, that God is worth seeking, that he's worth it. See, a church that is filled with the Spirit is a a praying church, cultivating intimacy with God, learning to listen to his voice, interceding for our city, asking for God to move. We're not anti-programs, but programs that aren't pickled in prayer and the Holy Spirit, they're powerless. So we want to be a, a prayerful church. We want to be a church that, that, that draws on God and his spirit and power to do what we do. Otherwise, we really believe that we're utterly powerless. We have no purpose or point. So prayer and worship. Now, what is worship really, right? It's like, we're here, it's a worship gathering. But, but let, let, me, let, me, let me sparse this out a little bit. Worship is ultimately, it's to ascribe ultimate value to something. Worship is, as John Piper says, he says, it's an inner 
authentic Godward experience of the heart. But this inner experience, it also has an outward element, right? It's something that we do on the inside, but it actually comes out of us. And he says this, the inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, by treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all other things. And then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in demonstrable acts of praise from the lips and demonstrable acts of love in serving others for the sake of Christ. See, the only response to when you see God correctly for who he actually is, is worship. And see, worship is both the singing, like John Piper said, right? He said, it's with our, with our lips, it's our songs, but it's also with our everyday lives. In fact, literally in heaven right now, this is, this is what's happening, okay? John pulls back the curtains in Revelation chapter four, and he says this, he says, each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around them, even under its wings, and they never stop day and night. They just say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will, they were created and have their being. Now there's some, there's some imagery there that I'm not gonna get into, but I love this imagery of taking off their crowns and laying them at his feet. When you see Jesus for who he is by the power of the Holy Spirit as he glorifies him, we lay our crowns at his feet which is symbolic for our identities, for our reputation, for our status, for our power, our titles, and laying them at the feet of Jesus as he sits on his throne. This isn't just about a moment, but it's about our life. It's about seeing all of life in light of who God is, to lay down our life at his feet and to serve and to love and to bless other people. It's what makes the simplest acts of service, acts of deep worship, because you're laying your life down. You're taking your power, your breath, your body, and you're laying it down for someone else in light of who God is and ultimately at the feet of Jesus. It's an inner reality that gets an outward expression. And even here this morning, right, as we sing and we worship, Psalm 34 says this, that, that when we worship, we magnify the Lord. And I love that because meaning, it means that when we sing, in here, right? Like we come in here with all our problems. We come in here with stress and anxiety and decisions and fear and all these different, these different things. And they seem really big. But as we step in here and as, just as we sing songs to God, as we worship him, it says that he's magnified. That, that, that as you sing, the more and more you sing, God gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And not that your problems are small, but all of a sudden in light of who God is, your problems, they seem smaller and smaller and smaller. And you felt that, right? When you sing and all of a sudden it's like, I, I'm just so lost in who God is that I, that I kind of lost track of what was stressing me out in the first place. That's the, that's the invitation of worship. And we see this, right? Second Samuel 6, we see King David. Okay, it's, it's, it's a different story, but, but his, his boy had just passed away. His boy just died and, and he's mad, he's angry. And I can almost just see the flow and the rhythm of this, right? They stop to make a sacrifice, him and his crew. 
And they're like, let's just sing a couple songs. And they start to worship. And David, he starts with his brow furrowed and he's upset. And he just kind of starts to sing a couple songs and maybe a couple words. And then it, one turns into two, turns into three. And then, then all of a sudden, the Lord is magnified. All the way to the point that David, it says that he, he started to dance with all his might. I don't even know what that looks like, right? With all of your might. I've seen some of you at weddings dance with half of your might. You shouldn't dance with all of your mights, okay? Like you just shouldn't unless it's before the Lord by yourself. I'm just kidding. We welcome that here. Um, but he starts to dance before the Lord. He, his, 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 his guy just died. And here he is moments later and he's just dancing. He's just getting it. How great is our God? Like, I don't know what he's doing. I'm like, don't do that, Cam. Um, he just starts to do it. He starts to dance because he's overwhelmed by who God is. He's overwhelmed by the, by the majesty and the magnitude of who God is that he just starts to dance, right? And another, another parallel to wine, if, if I can, right? One of the reasons that we, we tend to drink alcohol is to just numb out. It's to turn down the volume on reality. That's why one of even my own practices of drinking is if I'm sad, I don't drink because I don't want to numb out. I don't want to turn down the volume on reality. And one of the reasons he's comparing and contrasting that is that he says worship does the exact opposite, Worship, it turns, while alcohol turns down the volume on reality, worship turns up the volume on reality. It's that, it's that your problems here are momentary and it turns up the reality that God is who he is despite our circumstances and it turns up the volume. It makes it real in our hearts as we sing praises that, that are totally true outside of our circumstances, even if they don't feel true. And we step into worship, it turns up the volume on reality. This is what singing is. It's an inner reality that gives an outward expression. It's through song. And we see this all through the scriptures, right? Even, even Luke 15, one of our favorite stories, right? The prodigal son, he comes back home and, 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 he's, and he's with his dad, right? And the older son, he's off and he's kind of pouty and frustrated. And what does it say? What draws the older son into the house? Music and dancing. And it says that he heard it, all right? Like I've been to a couple some parties in my day. I've never, I've heard music, but I haven't heard the music and the dancing. Like they were getting it here. Celebration and joy is, a, is an overflow of worship. And celebration is a part of the culture of the kingdom of God. We want to be a church that celebrates the goodness of God. We, 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 want, it to, we want it to be an inward reality that we express outwardly. And so here, here's how I want to close. I, we don't care as much about how in particular we worship. We, we, we care, right? Like, but but, but it's, we're not up here. We're not, we're not trying to say, hey, we just want everyone to dance more and put our hands up and we want to go crazy. Like that's not, that's not necessarily what we're saying. It's not about what you do, but, but there is something deep about how you worship. Eugene Peterson, he says this, the late, great Eugene Peterson. If, if anybody didn't put their hands up in worship, I think it was this guy, to be honest. Okay, Eugene Peterson, go look up a picture of him. You're like, yeah, that guy didn't put his hands up. Okay, <laughs> Eugene Peterson, he says this, Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. I'm gonna read, it. I'm gonna read that one more time. It's just a little wordy. Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and we attend to the presence of God. So even in the passage, it says to sing from our hearts to the Lord. And one of the biggest hindrances as a church body, as a people to sing just from our own hearts to the Lord is being preoccupied with ourselves and everything else around us. 
But worship at its best is us just fixing our eyes on Jesus, right? It's even why I love Hebrews 12. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. So what we're gonna do this morning, the worship team, you guys can come, come back up if you want. This morning, we're gonna change up the order a little bit. We're gonna, we're gonna do a song and then I'll come back up and we'll do communion. But I really want us to just to do that. I want us to invite the Holy Spirit to help us, but we wanna throw off everything and we just wanna fix our eyes on Jesus. We wanna to look to him. Even all this talk about the Holy Spirit, it's what the Holy Spirit does. It, 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 Jesus, when he taught about the Holy Spirit, the most simple teaching he said was, he will glorify me. The Holy Spirit, he, he lifts our eyes off of ourselves in worship and he, and, he, and he sets them on Jesus. So this morning, I'm gonna pray and then we're just gonna, we're gonna do a worship song. We're gonna to sing together. But I'm gonna ask that the Lord would just break off the comparison that we have, break off the, the thoughts that we have about other people and just that we'd be free to worship and see him for who he is. So let, let, let's pray and then we'll stand and sing. Father, we thank you so much. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our praise. Mm-hmm.